I um, am preaching today from 2 Corinthians. It's chapter 12, verses 2 through 10. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such of one, I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weakness. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weakness, with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the last time that I was scheduled to preach was Memorial Day weekend. And y'all graciously let me bow out that Sunday because my father was in the hospital Lucas filled in for me. He is um, doing better now. He continues on antibiotic treatment until he can have um, his heart surgery. And we have been so thankful for your prayers, for your um, support as you've reached out and asked about him. Um, That Sunday, I had been planning to preach on Romans 8. And one of the verses in that passage says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And I thought, oh yeah, this pregnant lady can do something with that passage right there. Then I was looking through, so you know, each Sunday the lectionary gives you four different passages to choose from. I was looking through the ones for this week, and as I was reading over the psalm, verse 5 and 6 of it says, As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Pains as of a woman in labor. And I thought, now that's funny. There are a few analogies about women and labor in Scripture, but not that many that I get twice in a, get it twice in a row. But I decided to go for a different route this week, a little different direction. I kept being drawn back to the Second Corinthians passage that I read for you this morning. And the first commentary on the passage that I was reading to prepare said something about the birth pangs of a creation that is groaning in travail. And I was like, what is going on here? You have got to be kidding me. This passage mentions nothing about that, and there it is in the commentary. 
So I'm not sure what it was all about, but I was thinking maybe God was trying to let me know something, and I did not want to be groaning in travail this Sunday morning, so I have pulled up this chair to deliver the sermon this morning. Um, I'm acknowledging my weakness, that I easily get out of breath these days, and hopefully my sermon will be stronger for it, because you won't have to listen to me huffing and puffing as I talk to you this morning. As the Apostle Paul says, Whenever I am weak, then I am strong. And did you know that one of the first sermons I ever preached for, it was for one of my preaching classes in seminary, I sat down at a desk to deliver it. I was so nervous, y'all. I thought, if I can just sit and pretend like this is a conversation we're having, and I'm teaching a lesson, then I'll make it through it. My preaching professor was so kind and gracious. He didn't look at me and say, now Jillian, like you have to get up behind the pulpit, you have to stand with an air of confidence. He didn't tell me I had to walk the room and engage and make eye contact with each person. He just let me sit, let me deliver my, my sermon there. Um, and I don't know that I would call it a strong sermon. Those first ones usually aren't, right? But. I became a better preacher, or at least I became a preacher, because I was able to acknowledge my weakness, my nervousness to my class, and make it to a new place. But I'll say, I was, and I guess I am, even today, in good company, because did you know that Jesus sat down to teach and preach? There are several passages, like the one in John 8, verse 2, which says, Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Oftentimes the disciples were standing up to listen, like the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus was there on the mountain, and they were gathered around standing, listening. Um, when he was teaching at the Sea of Galilee, he was in the boat. They were on the shore standing, listening to him teach. So I was thinking if we were really trying to follow Jesus' lead, then I'd be sitting down to teach, and all of you guys would be standing up this morning. What do you think about that? I'm not going to do that to you. But my teacher let me sit too. That preaching teacher told all of us, guys, don't be afraid to try new things in this class. You're in a community that's going to support you, so jump out of the box. Do whatever you need to to make that text come to life, and don't be afraid. You might not get this opportunity again. And so my friends did. This class was one of my favorite classes in seminary because of that, because they were willing to try something different, try something new, put themselves many times in places of vulnerability. And I think that is the reason that I heard such strong and moving sermons in that class. Sermons that I still remember over 10 years later. And let me tell you, even though I'm a preacher, I'm no different from y'all. I don't usually remember sermons 10 years later. I don't even remember what I preached myself a couple weeks later a lot of times. But I remember these. I remember one friend telling the story of Jacob. You remember the story when he wrestles with God? And she talked about how the story paralleled her wrestling match with God because she had been struggling with depression, thoughts of suicide, and had checked herself into the hospital. I remember another friend preaching about the Old Testament story of Rachel. It's a fun story. I don't know if you know it. Rachel escaped from... She, they left her father, Laban, and 
On the way out, she grabbed a little statue. She wasn't supposed to take it with her. Um, and so the father went in search of the statue, and she, when she heard her father coming, ran into the tent to hide it, stuck it in a basket, and sat on top of the basket. So her dad had been looking everywhere for it. He came in, he searched the tent, and he went over to where she was sitting and asked her to stand up uh, so he could look and see if it was in there. And she said to him, I'm sorry, Dad, I can't get up. The way of women is upon me. The way of women. He did not touch that, right? He was like, I'm out of here, okay, bye. The preacher that day said that since it wasn't something that he wanted to talk about, he was nervous to talk about it, he moved on, not questioning her anymore. But if he'd been willing to go to the hard places, the places of vulnerability, and have the hard conversations, he could have found what he was looking for. She encouraged us not to be afraid of having hard conversations in our congregations because there's strength that can go, grow from that. In this class, people were willing to, to try new things and discuss hard things. And when you do something for the first time, most likely you're not going to be as good at it as something you've done a million times before. I bet you can think back to some of the first in your job uh, or a similar experience where it was your first time, you know, and you were learning. My daughter Hazel, we're still working on that. You might not uh, know exactly how to master something the very first time you try, right? But even still, though we may not have been the best orators in history, there was a strength and power in the messages because my classmates were willing to enter into a place of vulnerability. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For most of us, this idea of strength and weakness doesn't make any sense. Jason talked about that this morning, right? I mean, after all, strength and weakness are, seem to be opposites. They don't go together. Um, logically, they just don't go together at all. Weakness is bad to be avoided at all costs. I mean, think about it. In our evaluations, or if you're writing a job recommendation, you don't call it a weakness. What do you call it? A growing edge, yeah. We, we, we avoid weakness. Strength is good, something we all want, which explains why most of us do everything we can to avoid or overcome or conceal our weaknesses. They make us feel vulnerable. They frighten us. After all, if we're weak and vulnerable, somebody can take advantage of us, and we don't want that. If we're weak and vulnerable, we can be hurt. As a result, we put up walls. We adopt strategies to protect ourselves from our weaknesses and the vulnerability we feel. We try to control our lives. We want that, don't we? We try to control our lives. We hide our true thoughts and feelings for fear of betrayal. We do anything possible to avoid or overcome being weak or vulnerable in any way, shape, or form. From our perspective, oftentimes, when I am weak, then I am strong, just doesn't make sense. But this week, I really kind of felt that lived out in my life. This week, I've had the gift of a good friend from seminary who, um, who came to town and has been visiting with me and my family. And it has been so much fun to get to catch up with her, um, especially in the evenings. We've talked after the girls have gone to bed and caught up. And I think part of what makes our friendship strong is that she knows who I really am. We were roommates in seminary, 
and you know, roommates know each other's quirks, know each other's weaknesses and struggles, and so um, she's got here on Tuesday, and right now we're updating our house, and stuff's all out of place. I guess we didn't have enough dust around here at the church, so we decided to add some at home. Closets are in bedrooms, and just about nothing is where it should be. But I'm so thankful that things don't have to look pristine perfect for her to come visit. Because, trust me, I'll never be there. (laughs) It's something that I often struggle with, though. Feeling like I can't have people over because the house is messy with two little ones running around having fun. But if something's going to lag in life, I'm committed to letting it be the laundry or the toys on the floor over time with family and friends and our work here at the church. When I try to hide my weakness, my humanness, and pretend like the house is always perfect, then I become weaker because it cuts me off from friends and family. But when I allow myself to say, hey, this is who I am, you know, wrinkles, warts, and all, I become stronger because I'm not alone and isolated. In the commentary that I was mentioning that I read on this passage and mentioned earlier, uh, there's a story about a Duke professor who was asked, what is the one thing that you are most afraid of? You know what his answer was? Being found out. Yeah, this is a Duke professor. He's serving in this place of prestige that you don't stumble upon by chance. You get there because of your intellect and skill, right? And he was worried about being found out. Have you ever felt that way before? If people only knew, fill in the blank. If people only knew that I'm not as smart, as put together, strong, or fit, as whatever your fill in the blank might be as they think I am. What if people knew that I struggle with addiction that I surf too much social media, that I battle with an eating disorder, that I messed up and succumbed to dishonesty and work, that I can't handle the pressure and profit margins won't improve, that I, whatever your blank might be, if people only knew. But what do we think would happen if people did know? Usually we think it would knock us out of the picture. We imagine we would be rejected, looked down upon. But when we acknowledge and share that we're real people, typically the opposite happens. Often it creates a space for people to say, hey, you're not alone. I'm struggling with that too. Or it creates a support network to hold us accountable to be the better versions of ourselves that we want to be anyway because those people around us know. They know what our struggles are and they're able to support us in it. It allows us to connect with our brothers and sisters for whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Then I have that community of faith around me. Researcher and author Brene Brown talks about how we are just made to be in connection with other people. She says, y'all, it's how we are wired neurobiologically. We're set up to be in community. And she says that empathy and shame are the two ends of this connection continuum. If there was this continuum that, that looked, that was a picture of what connection looked like, shame would be on one end and empathy the other. 
And so what she means by that, um, with, vulnerability, with vulnerability in the middle, and what she means by that is vulnerability at its worst is shame. When we can't let others see the true parts of our story because of fear that they won't want to be around us anymore, fear that it'll cause disconnection. But she says vulnerability at its best is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. In an interview for Forbes, she talks about this idea of strength and vulnerability Uh, strength through vulnerability and weakness. And she tells the story of Mishkin Ngwale. And she says, after learning about the unbelievable and unnecessary maternal child death rate in rural India, he decided to do something about it. He wanted to develop technology that was effective and efficient at testing for anemia in pregnant women. That seems like a pretty simple, treatable cause of the death rate, right? So, she says, he was a TED fellow, and when I heard him speak in 2012, he said, I wanted to solve this problem, so I invented something that would do it. The audience burst into applause. Then he said, but it didn't work. Yeah, you could feel the letdown in the room. Then he smiled and said, so I made it 32 more times, and they all failed. But finally... A smile slid across his face, and he said, the 33rd time worked, and now deaths are down by 50%. To create is to enter into a space of vulnerability, to do something we haven't done before, to do something that we're likely not good at yet. To create something new is often to enter into an area of weakness. It's our first time, right? But because he was willing to enter into that space, we as a global people are stronger for it. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. God even models this for us. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, willing to enter into something new to start this, to set the world into motion willing to enter into relationship with us, even though there was opportunity for heartache and broken relationship that abounds, God was willing to take on that risk, to be vulnerable in starting this world. God was willing to become weak, taking on the form of an infant child in Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. You can't get any weaker than that, a little baby completely dependent on somebody else to take care of them. God was willing to give us God's son for him to lay down his life on the cross that it might be taken up again. We have eternal life, abundant life, stronger than ever before because Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us. Through the saving work of Jesus Christ, God taught Paul that whenever I am weak, then I am strong. I'll close today with a story that can serve as an image for what this phrase, whenever I am weak, then I am strong, looks like. The story is told of an artist who makes the world's most prized vases, crafts them as pottery, 
and there was a foreign visiting apprentice that came to observe his method. After laboring for many weeks with one piece of clay, firing it, painting it, baking it, he placed it upon a pedestal for inspection. The apprentice sat in awe at the unspeakable beauty. But it appeared that the artist wasn't quite finished yet. And in this shocking and dramatic moment, the artist picked up the vase and dashed it on the floor, and it shattered into a thousand pieces. And then quietly, he reconnected the pieces by painting them with a paint of pure gold. Each crack reflected in valuable gold. In the end, this magnificent but imperfect piece became the most valued piece in the collection. We all have cracks, but that doesn't mean they can't be transformed by our loving God into something beautiful. For whenever we are weak, then we are strong. For whenever we are weak, then through God's sufficient grace, then we are strong. Amen? Amen. Amen.